everyone, and uh, welcome to a, uh, another uh, edition of uh, the podcast that, well, up until this point had no name. Um, but I have exciting news because uh, we've been running a, a little bit of a competition over the last few weeks on social media and email and uh, and so on, myself and uh, my collaborators or partners in crime, Aaron and, uh, and Michael. And, uh, well, before I come to the news that we do actually have a winner... We've had some fascinating suggestions, haven't we? Have you, have you gentlemen heard any other kind of interesting ones in the last kind of week or so since the last show before we reveal the one we quite like? What was it? There was one that was uh, The Band With No Podcast, if I remember, which is a riff on... Because there was The Band With No Name back in the day, which some Christians may remember, the kind of rap, a rap kind of rock group from the 90s, I think. Um, so The Band With No Podcast kind of works... And then the other one, what was the other one? I think I, I had the idea because we had what kind of podcast? I thought that kind of podcast because it was oh, that like was interesting. that yeah, kind yeah. of podcast. It's not really a podcast because they don't really know no. what they're doing. Well, um, the other one I, I quite liked, which I shouldn't really like because I because I I, I, I I think I may have come up with it, but um, but uh, there was the um, who let the Ots out. That was a good one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's obviously a bit Michael Ots specific uh but uh but there we go but uh no but it was amazing literally an hour or so before we've uh we dialed in to record this uh, a new zealand friend of mine called charles who lives in london who'd been listening to the show and really enjoying it texted me and said hey you guys if i could do a new zealand accent it'd be even better he said why don't you call it drum roll please why don't you call it the pod of the gaps and uh we all thought that was that was brilliant but um that we think we're going to run with, but but Mike, Michael, Aaron, why did you what, why do you like that for listeners who are going pot of the gaps? Okay, interesting. Why why do you guys like it? Well, firstly, I like it because it's punny, and uh, Andy and I have been known to uh, to <laughs> to delay bedtime <laughs> by sending each other ridiculous puns because we can't be the last ones to stop. <laughs> <laughs> My wife's displeasure that I'm still sending Andy puns at half eleven at night. Is this, is this like an accountability issue I have to have with you guys? Is that, you know? It is. Um, I mean, my, it, yes, in my defence, I'm a serial punner that I have those with many kind of friends, and Astrid's often like, put the so phone away, it's 11 o'clock at night. I say, yeah, but we should explain that it's obviously a pun of the idea of God of the gaps, which is a terminology that comes up sometimes in apologetic discussions that people talk about God simply being a, a kind of God of the gaps that does the things we don't understand. So this is a pot of the gaps, and actually kind of like, it works because this is a podcast that hopefully fills a bit of a gap um, in a more positive way than God filling the gaps of <laughs> scientific knowledge, I guess. Uh, but yes, we want it to fill the gap of you know, a podcast that can engage with cultural issues from a kind of Christian theological point of view and think about how we can use that as a way of communicating the good news about Jesus as well. Yeah. So I like it. Yeah, sounds good. So- I mean, I... Surprised that a late, such a late comer to the party is able to go run straight through, knock every, all the competition out of the way. And, I, uh, yeah. I like the idea to me that from because I, I, I work with a with a with a Kiwi as well. I, I think there's something about the New Zealand that sort of spirit there. It's chilled, it's a bit laid back, not quite Californian. It's a bit more street cred than that, a bit more sophisticated. But that kind of walking in, going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me just, this is what you need. So, um, so like a yeah. Joe Deloma of like all black rugby, isn't it? They're just like, that's you know, exactly. everyone else that's does exactly. their thing. Give him the ball. He's going to get a try. That's what they're going to get. So we are going to run with it. And it suddenly occurred to me, of course, then people who are new to the show who watch the first few episodes are going to go, what? what? It says Pod of the Gaps up there, but down here it's something else. But there we are. It is indeed uh, Pod of the Gaps. 
And that, but Andy, that does mean, of course, we have to think of something else to talk about at the beginning of our show. Yeah, how we're going to fill four minutes of airtime? I, I don't know. I'm sure, I'm sure we'll find something. People else. can send suggestions. You know, like instead of sending suggestions yes. about what we should call it, you could tell us what innocuous and vacuous conversation we can have yeah. to fill the first four minutes well, of this. We could, you know. Aaron's a theologian. We could talk about what heresies he's considered this week, but put to one side. <laughs> you know, Michael likes traveling. We could talk about what countries he hasn't been to. He can't. And, yeah. uh, and me, we could see who, you know, who else, who, what other famous people I've, you know, sat on a toilet after or something. That's right. That's so, right. All kinds yeah. of things. But rather than do that, let's crack on with today's episodes of Pod of the Gaps. I've got to train myself to say that because I've been so used to saying the other one, but Pod of the Gaps. And, uh, yeah, the topic today is an interesting one because it's a kind of perennial topic, but it's also a very topical topic because as we record this, for folks listening, um, it was just a few days ago when uh, when you know, headlines are made around the world because um, Meghan Markle and uh, and Prince uh, Prince Harry uh, appeared on the Oprah Winfrey show in the states and just basically kind of laid in uh, to the British monarchy and how terrible it was and yada yada yada. And I confess I watched brief snippets and went, yeah, there's a reason I don't watch Oprah. Um, but it was amazing the headlines it made. But then there was also quite a lot of criticism. And one of my friends who who writes a popular blog, I think for me, summed it up when he said, quite frankly, he said, to, to me, I couldn't understand why people were obsessing. It was a, it was a couple of millionaires complaining to another millionaire about how they, they've been mistreated by a third group of millionaires. But that very sort of issue and the whole vacuousness of the interview opens up something I thought would be great to talk about in the show, which is the kind of celebrity culture that we live in, that even if you don't have much to say, even if you've just had, maybe, you know, maybe maybe Megan has had a terrible experience. I don't know, or or, or in one sense, I, I'm not, I don't know her, so I can't comment. Mm-hmm. But the fact that that fields so much airtime, it does seem to be that if you can sit on the couch next to Oprah, if you're an Instagram influencer with enough followers, if you're just sort of somehow by an accident of life, famous enough, then suddenly you can shake the whole media narrative around you. We seem to live in this celebrity-obsessed, vacuous culture um, Mm. that doesn't just frustrate Christians, but does frustrate Christians. So I suppose the question I want to start is thinking about uh, Michael or or Aaron, whichever one one of you want to have a stab at this as we dig into this. How as Christians do we respond? Do we run away from it? Do we ignore it? Do we just absorb it like everybody else in the culture? We try and think critically about it. Uh, how do we engage in a world of celebrity culture where people seem to be ever more content to paddle in the shallow end? Hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in on that first, um, if that's all right. Um, I, I think you know, I'll always have to take a stab at uh, Harry and Meghan, if needed. Um, I think the issue that you raise is is an important one because it points to the fact that we have lost something in Western culture at large. So Western culture is, I think it's appropriate to say, more celebrity obsessed by a significant margin than other cultures. I think all cultures do have an equivalent of celebrity worship. I, it's clear that the Western world has done that, uh, has run with that to a greater extent. And some of that is filling, it's almost like the pot of the gaps, it's filling the gaps of transcendence in um, our kind of postmodern culture. That we've tried to sort of evacuate the sense of the divine, the sense that, that God is worthy of worship, or indeed um, many people, anyone's worthy of sort of emulation or something, or, or heroes, hero worship, which has kind of always been present in human cultures. And we're trying now to fill it with basically 
people who have a shorter term fix, maybe. So it's almost as though our heroes are not as worthy as they used to be. I don't think hero worship is a new thing. You had, you know, hero worship is, you, there's loads of evidence of it in ancient cultures everywhere. In ancient literature, you think of Homer's The Iliad and think Virgil's um, Aeneid and things like this. There's, there's heroes in, in all of these kind of writings in, in history. So they're kind of celebrity, like Achilles is a kind of celebrity. Um, whether fictional or, or other, I guess, but you know, you get, you get real life figures who are um, sort of glamorized in this way. They become emulating people who are worthy of emulation. And I think, you know, in the modern era, what's really happened there is we don't have any heroes, or we our heroes are have a lower bar or something. Um, but there's there's something also to link. And the final thing I'll say on this little bit would be saints as well. We don't because of the lack of transcendence. We also used to have a culture, I guess, where you're looking at. People who are worthy of emulation, particularly relating to their spiritual sort of holiness and, and condition. I know that as Protestants, we wouldn't hold saints in high regard, but it's still a culture. We still revere heroes. So though we don't officially have saints, we will look back at our heroes in the, in the Christian tradition. And so just even some of that is like a celebrity culture, but you're looking at someone uh, for a particular reason, worthy of imitation. And um, there's all sorts of things we're going to, to talk about that. But just to say, I think it's, almost like yeah, we've taken over, the Western culture has taken over what was possibly a good thing um, and it's been sort of trashed a little bit, mm. toxificated, if that's even a word. Mm. That's fascinating. I'm listening to uh, Andy's kids, I think, um, having a fight outside their door. I think uh, they wanted to be uh, celebrities. And get on the show. Just a celebrity, they're asking for autographs, aren't they? Basically, they've heard that we have such a wide listenership globally. They just like he's locked the door. That's quite dramatic, actually. I was thinking of editing it out, but I might leave it in. So, listeners, like, what on earth just happened? My son has this quite sort of wonderful maniacal villains laugh, and that was definitely my son going. (laughs) (laughs) So there we are. Where did he get that from? I wonder. I can't imagine. Sorry, anyway. Um... I thought you were saying, though, Aaron, I think that's a fascinating thought. And in the sense, we now live in a culture where people can be famous for just being famous. Like it mm. used to be, you know, you had to do something to be a celebrity. You'd have to be a really good footballer. You'd have to have become a leader. You'd, you'd kind of work your way into a position. Whereas, whereas, you know, you kind of, you know, when you watch this kind of like, I'm a celebrity, get me out of there. Although I think we should maybe yeah. kind of rename it, you know, I want to be a celebrity, get me in there. Or I used to be a celebrity, get me back in there. Because you kind of work <laughs> People and it's like actually, like a lot of them is like, well, what are they famous for? They're, they're famous for just being kind of famous, like you know, influencers. You know, for instance, you know, what are they actually famous for? What have they actually done um, to make, in a sense, them worthy of that attention, that's that focus? And, and often, that yeah. I guess that's a new thing, maybe, um, and maybe that's been facilitated by social media, particularly the idea that I can like I can get to a position of, of celebrity without necessarily kind of achieving anything along the way to, des- to if you can say yeah. deserve it in inverted commas yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i think that's interesting that you say that um michael because i remember reading uh there was a survey done two or three years ago i think showing that um picking up the fact that here in the here in the uk and i suspect it would be the figure would be the same probably for other western countries that over 50 percent of of young uh young people teenagers you know, and asked what they wanted to be when they left high school, the answer was famous. <laughs> and that's quite interesting because it picks up what you were saying. They're not famous for doing something. It wasn't, well, I, you know, I want to discover the cure for, you know, cancer or folk music appreciation, you know, or something and, and, and thus become, 
you know, famous that way. It was just purely famous for fame's sake. And then, of yeah. course, you couple that not just with social media, but I think, I suppose the sort of TV, you know, sort of talent show sort of sort of culture as well that was always there, but has really become big in recent mm-hmm. years. The idea that, you know, you might be an ordinary person, you might, you know, you know, you might, you might appear for your 50 minutes of fame on the right TV show, or you might, your, your YouTube video might go viral, and then suddenly yeah. you've achieved it. You've achieved the goal because you've been famous. Um, and that struck me actually, Aaron, as you were talking about, you know, there's, there's celebrities as you like, if you like in the past, um, you know, Achilles and so on from, you know, sort of Greek sort of tradition. Of course, they're all famous for something, for actually doing something. And I wonder, I just wonder whether I'm very conscious that we don't view the past through, you know, rosy colored spectacles, but this phenomenon of just being famous for the sake of being famous for being famous. Yeah. That is a uniquely modern phenomenon. Mm. Absolutely. I agree with that. I think that's something that we've, that's why I was saying earlier, we've invented it because we don't have um, transcendent meaning, I guess, in our, you know, thinking of um, the, yeah, the much quoted philosopher Charles Taylor, who speaks of the fact that, you know, the modern world is, is, is secularized to the extent where it creates a kind of framework inside which it can try to understand itself fully without any transcendence, the imminent frame, as he would call it. Um, so we, do, we don't need transcendence. We're the first, you know, culture that's sort of not required transcendence to give us meaning. And, and various, you know, Western philosophers have sort of reflected on that over the last 200 years or so. And I think, what do you do? We still need, we actually still want transcendence. We still want heroes. So we're going to find them somehow, even if, even if uh, you know, they're not worthy of, of our admiration. And, it, and it, as you say, Andrew, there's, there's all sorts of idolatry linked into that as well. It, it strikes me, it's amazing. I remember preaching a sermon to a youth group a number of years ago when I'd first heard or really first realised the phrase, um, Elvis has left the building. And, and it was the end of a, I think it was a Scouting for Girls song. Do you remember that band who were just like, we're going to call our band what all of our songs are basically about and we're just going to go out there and we're going to hide it. And I think at the end of one of their songs, it was, there was the phrase, Elvis has left the building. Elvis isn't dead was the song, I think. I was thinking, why is that? Why is that phrase a thing? Why is that phrase a thing? I was like, gosh, it's crazy. They had to tell all the screaming fans, Elvis isn't here anymore, so you can go home. You think, what a crazy thing! You think of I don't, you know, the, the, the human heart yearning for someone who can give them something no one else can give them. I'm going to stay here screaming and shouting until I know for sure that Elvis is not here anymore. Otherwise, why would I want to leave? There's something quite. Um, spiritual and religious about that whole process. So I think it's just it's fulfilling the void of something, not just of heroes, but actually of of God Himself. Yeah, there's one more thing I wanted to perhaps tease out on the on the general cultural piece before then perhaps turning it in a Christian direction our conversation because I'm very conscious if we talk about this we could just sit here and just you know have a pop at the the, the secular culture and say you know isn't it great we're Christians because we would never do anything like this um so we might come to that in a moment but um but Michael maybe maybe your thoughts on 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 this it occurred to me as as Aaron was was talking there the little question I just jotted down on my notes was you know do you think it's the case that we actually get the, the the heroes and celebrities we deserve because it's interesting which way this goes. We could sort of say, oh, it's terrible as a society. Look at all these celebrities and so forth and look at the way they're behaving. And, you know, it's the Kardashians, this and, you know, Meghan Markle, the other and goodness says whatever. But it, which way is the which way is the rot gone? Um, is it that we as a culture have actually become increasingly kind of shallow with the attention span of newts and happy to just, you know, click away on the like button on our, on our phone like a like a rat trying to get a treat out of a maze? 
and actually the celebrities have kind of emerged from that because that's not actual flame or is it the other way around um i'm just intrigued which way it goes yeah it's a, it's a fascinating question because in a sense you know like these things only get traction because people you know give it traction and, and attention and interest um and 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 so i guess maybe there's a, there's a bit both ways um but certainly you know the fact that we get drawn naturally to that seems to be like and that we give attention um to it i, I don't know and like particularly with the kind of the megan harry interview part of me was just kind of you know i am not going to i'm not going to get drawn into this partly because i was just like so frustrated you know thinking you know here we are discussing in a podcast but i guess just what does that show though that we get drawn into kind of we all need to or want to to kind of talk about that what does it show about us um uh yeah i i i think there's a bit of both i think particularly the way that media works and social media works now you know certainly we do have a great power in dictating what will get attention and what doesn't um in terms of like the general populace, whereas in the past it would be an editor that makes a decision in terms of this is what we're going to give precedence mm. to and this is what we're going to ignore. Like in a sense, you know, the way that social media works would mean that actually it's quite democratic in the sense that we decide what's going to become popular and what's not, what stories are going to really go and travel somewhere to an extent um, by the amount of attention and interest that we give to it. Yeah. But it's interesting on that, Michael, that obviously there's also the sort of technocratic corporations that people are talking about a lot at yep. the moment, where mm-hmm. it's not democratic. So, for example, um, my wife's just started trying to set up a blog, mm-hmm. but realising now the internet is not like it was when, when we were young. <laughs> and the internet first came out and you could write something and there was this thing called organic reach, where you could just put stuff out there and then it got out there. The internet doesn't actually work like that at all anymore. It works entirely you know, on an algorithm basis with SEO sort of optimization, search engine optimization, and things like this, whereby if you don't um, market yourself or market things in, a, in certain ways for, to get the likes and all the rest of it, no one will see it. It doesn't get noticed, which is why, of course, you should like and subscribe to um, Part of the Gaps, but that's another matter entirely, not related at all. But it, but it is interesting, isn't it? But, we, we do we do live in in, that, in an online world which is different to what what, what it was and when it started and we some some people haven't actually caught up with that how much it isn't actually as democratic as we might think i mean i guess one thing to throw in is this may be controversial but this is off the back of a, a conversation i was having last year and it was fascinating in terms of how black lives matter as a movement you know became massive in a very short space of time and I, I was kind of reflecting on it and, and, and why and how that kind of happens. You know, because it's not that, sadly, you know, what happened to George Floyd was, a, you know, an exception. You know, tragically, these kind of things happen regularly. So why why did it get such traction last year? And I spoke to, to a friend of mine who's black and was just kind of asking his kind of experience on it. And he said, um, he said, well, when did it last hit the, the media? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, just search, just, just search Black Lives Matter. When did it last peak in the media? It's four years ago. What happened four years ago? What's happening this year? It's an American election. Like, it's no surprise that this has gained the traction it has because there are people really pushing it because they know that there's a political spin that we can put on this. Now, I'm not at all saying, you know, like, therefore we just reject mm-hmm. it all. Because, but, but the fact that it got the traction it did was not accidental. There were people who were actually actively yeah. using yeah. it for that purpose. So. You're right, actually. Yeah, to what extent, without a lot of money or influence and 
expertise in those kind of areas can you get traction or how much is it determined by stuff outside of our control mm. that's really interesting i think the other thing that occurred as you just before you said that mm. michael is the old kind of phrase that was you know thrown around around the time when the when the roman empire was in in trouble and you know the poor were getting a bit rebellious and threatening to overthrow the whole thing and of course the phrase bread and circuses Right, you know, the emperors figured out. Well, if we just give the crowds, give the crowds some bread, yeah. and put on the gladiatorial games, and give them stuff to entertain them, they won't cause trouble. And I do think, you know, celebrity culture may be part of the same thing today, mm-hmm. as you say. That I think there's that sort of sense. Oh, let's get you to look over here, or let's get mm-hmm. you to get obsessed about, uh, you know, what these, you know, sort of famous people are doing over here, but not ask the the questions mm-hmm. that maybe we need to be asking, whether it's about envir- the environment or justice mm-hmm. or or, ra- or yeah. racism or some of those things. And sometimes the issues that we, we do need to talk about get missed, even when celebrities may be paying lip service um, to them. And I thought that was one of the things that was interesting about the Meghan Markle piece, that mm-hmm. all the talk about race and stuff, that's, that's a, a hugely important issue we need to talk about as a culture because it does exist. And there's, there's a number of issues that I think needs to, that the society needs to face up to. But with the very greatest respect, I don't think having Meghan and Harry witter on uh, to somebody who's, you know, like, uh, like mm. Oprah is really going to change that issue. Mm. People are just going to sit and munch their popcorn and go, Oh, look at the famous people and the, and the nice set. Mm. And then the attention will move on mm. to the next, the next thing. Mm. So I think bread and circuses explain some of it, but let's mm. talk about Christians and celebrity for a moment. Cause it's easy to sit here and, you know, poke the culture with a, with a stick. And I think, you know, as Christians, we're not, we're, we're quite guilty of doing that a lot. And on, on this podcast, we don't want to do, that. I think there are times we can learn a lot from the culture. I think the times that the culture has picked things up ahead of the church. Uh, mm-hmm. And then there's also times where the church gets a bit affected by the, the culture, as we talked about in, a, in an episode or so ago. And so when it comes to Christians and celebrity, um, yeah, what do we make of the fact that we're not perhaps immune from that? You know, we have our own Christian celebrities. And certainly as a British Christian, it'd be very easy to go, oh, it's the Yanks. You know, it's the it's the American church that's full of its, you know, major celebrities. And so, well, but that's actually not not the case. It's just the celebrities change different, are different in the different Christian subcultures. If you're, yeah. you know, if you're more sort of more reformed, conservative, evangelical British end of things. I mean, we've had our John Stotts and whoever's or the dead ones, C.S. Lewis. <laughs> I mean, to go, you know, stick a C.S. Lewis quote on a meme and you can guarantee 200 likes before lunchtime, um, yeah. and so on. So we still seem to the same idea, don't we? Of, of let's get the famous person, let's stick him on a pedestal, or because you know, somebody's got the presence and the reach they have, they must be authoritative. But I'm not sure what it says about the Christian world that say someone like, you know, Joel Osteen has the following that he has, whereas, you know, somebody who's perhaps much more biblical and much more grounded doesn't have anything like the kind of following. So how do we navigate this as Christians? Mm. Yeah. I guess, like I was saying earlier, and kind of think about it, you know, there is nothing wrong in a sense with recognizing a particular authority in a particular area, you know, and that's what historically what we've done. So, you know, if, you know, in the, in the secular culture, there'll be people who will be well known because they are particularly good and respected at being able to play football or, you know, being a particular academic or, or whatever. Um, and, and that's recognizing something that is, you know, that stands out and, and that's a very natural thing. And I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. I think, where it's potentially become a problem is where people are now um, basically being promoted, can I say, to the level of their incompetence. And so it's, you know, we push people forwards, but not because they necessarily should be in that position, but because we've now got a really good kind of marketing strategy that means that actually if we 
got the right kind of setup, we can get into a position of influence because we've got the the tools to do that. So I think, you know, historically, you know, you know, biblically, obviously, there were Christian leaders who were well known in the first century. And through history, there have yeah. been Christian leaders who have rightly been respected because they have been influential. Yeah. And, and there's something right and biblical about that, I think. But um, but then there's a danger, particularly in the current context in which I now think all I need to do to be able to get that kind of influence or reach is I need to, you know, employ a marketing strategist who can tell me how I can best, you know, yeah. work the algorithm or whatever to get me into that position. And then that becomes unhelpful because we're getting people pushed, as it were, unnaturally into positions of, of leadership and influence, maybe spiritually immature mm. and and actually they're not able to handle those situations. And then it's kind of, you know, they rise rapidly and then there's this massive implosion when it all starts to fall mm. apart. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree with that, Mike. I think it's interesting, you know, they're saying about there's a, there has to be, we have to keep harkening back that it's not a bad thing to revere people who are worthy of imitation. So Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And um, we think of Hebrews 13, 7, um, um, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you, the word of God, and, and consider their ways and imitate their faith. That I remember hearing that for the first time when I was actually thinking about this question, listening to uh, John Piper used to do an amazing series of biography talks that his, um, uh, Desiring God conference every year, an incredible um, kind of like sermons off through the story of, an, of a great thinker because he's reformed. And so you're not really supposed to be about people. It's more about the glory of God all the time. Mm-hmm. There's almost a contradiction in revering these figures because you're supposed to be pointing everyone to Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he would often open those sessions by reminding everyone about Hebrews 13, 7. We are supposed to do this. It is good to do this, to look at these people because they help us um, think about Christ they, because they point to Christ in the way that John the Baptist did. He must decrease. Um, he must increase. I must decrease. Sorry, um, <laughs> and that's you know a really important part of this. It's not you know a thing we we can't really afford to just say. Oh, we're not going to look up to people. We're not going to try and mentor people or not try to be worthy of imitation because clearly that there's a biblical strain in that. There's heroes all the way through the Bible. Hebrews eleven, of course, just before that. What I mentioned there is it's a list of heroes, um, and we're, we're not supposed to just look at them. And go well, everyone's the same. Everyone just has faith, and everyone's loved by God. So just they're just completely dull. The Bible would be a pretty short book if you could just say that. Mm. Um, was actually we you know, there's the contours of individual characters who who are worthy of imitation, which I think we need to keep, um, keep hold of. I think to what Andy you were saying before, there is a danger, yeah, that the celebrity Christian culture has literally just aped the way it works in the secular world. It's like we see them doing it like this, so this is how we will do it too. And Michael was touching on that as well with you know how you can learn this or that to get yourself up to that platform. And, and the, you know, the, the very platforms that enable you to rise so fast, as Michael was saying, will be just as quick to kind of mm. throw you down the stairs, the banister at the other end. Yeah. Um, oh, that's interesting. I was going to say, I think, I think there's wisdom in there because you, you say we can throw the baby out with, with the bathwater, ignore things like you know Hebrews 13, and elsewhere and maybe what's required is maybe thinking about what are some of the what are some of the tests that we we can put christian celebrity to so if somebody has got profile to ask well is it a, is it appropriate profile mm. and you can obviously ask the character ones you can ask the accountability ones someone in good standing with the church and so forth the other thing i've actually found helpful sometimes um over the years not it's not perfect but it is a helpful uh, guide is to ask sort of two questions how is that how is that person you're thinking of or looking at are they using their celebrity to help others particularly others who are not as well known 
And that's what it's yeah. contest. Are they willing to give space to others? Are they willing? And there are there are secular celebrities who are equally good at this. But I think there's Christians uh, <laughs> to go, you know, not hogging all the glory for themselves, but willing to share some of the, the limelight. And then actually another rough acid test is how often when I read someone's Twitter feed, do I end up thinking about them? Or how often do I end up thinking through them about Jesus? And if mm. it's the latter, then I'm, I'm much more comfortable. Um, you know, one of the examples I often I often give in this, he's not a major celebrity, but you know, when, when his book came out, he was quite well known. And Michael Ott? No, not, no, not, 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 no. not Michael Ott. Um, <laughs> I mean, obviously, I mean, Michael is always what I think of when I think of Christian celebrity. But after I thought about Michael Ott's, um, no, I was I was just thinking like well, how gracious it was of you to allow us to come and enjoy your celebrity. That's right. He's showing us modeling this following and you allow Aaron and I to come and share his glory. No, I was thinking about someone I think I think I think certainly you you know him, uh, Michael, if Aaron does, but David Bennett um mm-hmm. yeah is, is, a, is a friend uh in, in, based on oxford and david's book uh, war of loves just an amazing his book his, t- his testimony of how he came from being a you know a gay atheist mm-hmm. uh well actually a, a actor a gay, gay activist um an atheist following christ mm-hmm. and that book went, went wildly popular when it first mm-hmm. came out and what i enjoy, what i always used to say what i admired about david um, is that whenever he would tell his testimony, whenever you read his book, I didn't come away from his book thinking about him. I love that book because you come away thinking about Jesus. Mm. And he has a wonderful job, mm. and a wonderful job of using his platform. Um, Nabil Qureshi, my late, my late friend Nabil Qureshi was another. You know, his book, New York Times bestseller, 300,000 copies of that book, Seeking Allah, mm. Finding Jesus. But you heard Nabil speak, and boy, you, you, you know, it was amazing. He had a huge commanding presence. He was over six foot. He was a big stage-filling guy. But that his sessions would always bring you into land on, 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 on Jesus. You'd come away thinking about Christ. And I think that's a good test. Um, but if you come away thinking about the celebrity, I just wonder that's where, where things are unhelpful. Just, just also on that, something I found really helpful in ministry, actually, because, you know, we can all be prone to this, you know, wanting to have a, a platform or position. But um, I remember Early on, um, as I was kind of starting to do more traveling and, um, and accept kind of speaking engagements outside of the church that I was working for, um, there was a situation where I'd said yes to going to speak at a, a smaller university gathering and then a much bigger university Christian union asked me to go and speak. And I remember talking to um, to a Christian friend and saying, you know, what should I do? You know, because I really want to go do this big, big one. And, you know, and I'll never forget what they said. They said, um, make it your aim to focus on the depth of your ministry. <laughs> And let the Lord worry about the breadth of your ministry. And that one line has always mm. stuck with me kind of through ministry, which is actually our job as Christian ministers, if we're in Christian ministry, is to to actually focus on you know, our character, digging into God's words, being the very best at what we can be. And in a sense, handing over, you know, the breadth of our platform to, to the sovereignty of God and saying, well, actually, God might choose to you know, give me a, a global platform that can be used for his glory or it may be in a very you know small local parish situation where no one will hear of me and I think you know a good example of that is someone like John Lennox who's probably one of the most well-known Christian leaders in the world you know you know, think of a kind of Christian apologist he would be up there wouldn't he um globally um as someone who's recognizable yeah interestingly for John you know yeah. his kind of celebrity status as a Christian apologist only came fairly late in life. You know, for most of his life, he was an unknown mathematics lecturer at Cardiff University. Um, he was traveling all over Eastern Europe, giving lectures and teaching, you know, pouring himself out. 
And then suddenly, through doing one debate with Richard Dawkins, he hits you know the kind of Christian limelight. But he wasn't seeking it, and in a sense, he could handle it because he had spent a whole lifetime of you know, studying God's word so that he had something to say. Now he has a platform, um, and sometimes we can get platforms too quickly, um, and then we have nothing to say and, and we dry up pretty quick. Yeah, that's a good point, Michael, and that kind of leads us into the next one. I was just thinking that, as you're saying, that the the depth thing is is huge, isn't it? That with the need, there's a need for spending time in in the wilderness, as it were, out of the limelight. And that's that's again a really you know, strong Christian tradition of that. Whether you talk about monks who literally um, had to withdraw for for a certain season, or you know various kind of so called saints over the years who who would need that time away from the limelight in order to have something to say when they were in it. Of course, Jesus is a great example um, as well, um, modelling that for us. And it's something that we we naturally, we can't possibly usually think of a, uh, an old, a, a situation where us not being famous was a good thing. We, all, we always would think if we had the option of being famous, that would always be a good thing. Because, you know, think of the, op- the ministry opportunities, I could speak to these people, you may get, you know, it, there's, there's boundless opportunities here. But actually, that's not going to be the, <laughs> the, there's so many genuinely theological Christian reasons why it's a bad idea for you to be in the limelight, genuinely. But I think the reason I, I will maybe just transition onto this platform thing a little bit longer, will be because, obviously, you know, you said, Michael, about giving things over to the, to the grace and sovereignty of God for these things, which I think is a great way to think of this. And yet at the same time, we are called to do stuff and we're called to be, I guess, consistent with what we believe and wanting to get a message out there. Right? We want to be in the Agora, in the marketplace, as Paul was in the marketplace in Athens. We need to be there. And the Agora uh, today would be probably social media and some of these platforms which lead to celebrity culture. So it, for Christians who want to build platforms and who feel they're called to, to do it, and, they, and they, there's to some extent a need to engage in that sort of dirty world of platform building, what does what does one do? Maybe I'll, I'll throw it over to um, Michael first. Well, partly, and I'm saying this because I don't really have a platform. <laughs> I'm trying to, I mean, I'm, 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 the, I'm the academic in the background of this, but I, I, you know, I was thinking about it recently. I probably, I'm about to start a blog as well. And, and my first post would probably have to be, I feel like as a self-aware post, is it a good idea to have a blog? Um, because it's the, normally the natural default. Oh, I ought to, because everyone else has one. Or everyone else has a, a, you know, a rampaging Twitter feed. Um, it isn't always the best thing to actually do. Um, so those of you who do have much better platforms, like uh, you fine chaps, tell us uh, tell us about it. And of course, you know, feel free to plug your uh, your Twitter handle and your uh, your new books. I think Andy's got a new book, isn't he? He might tell us about that. <laughs> but seriously, like, you know, how do you guys reflect on platform building? Yeah, I, I think it's been something I've been you know wrestling with recently. So I was, um, I've got a YouTube channel that's got I think sixty subscribers, um, and uh, and I was thinking like you know I kind of think like some of these talks might be helpful for people, um, and and then you kind of look at some stuff out there that's you think is like not great, and it's got like thousands of subscribers, and you kind of think like how can I get more? And I guess I mean partly it's a question of motivation, isn't it? So so what makes something sinful or not is not always what we do, but the motivation behind it. So. So I think, you know, if the, the motivation genuinely is, I want many people to hear about Jesus who don't know about Jesus and I want God to be glorified, you know, and 
yeah, that's great. Yeah, so yeah, if we were on a, yeah, if, if I was physically, you know, on a, on a university mission week, we'd go and hand out flyers. We would you know, invite people to the events. Now I'm speaking at it, but we do that because we want them to hear about Jesus. Okay, so so we don't see that as kind of like platform building for our own glory. We see that as you know wanting to raise awareness. So I think for me, partly it's just having to go back to like, what is my motivation here? Is it just to be able to say I've got X number of followers, I've got all that going, or is it? Yeah, I think this is genuinely might be helpful for people and I'd like to get that out there. Um, so that's the first question. And I think the mm. second question is sometimes it is helpful to know how these things work, you know, um, and there are kind of practical things that you can do that would be helpful if you are wanting to to get people to notice stuff and things that maybe you wouldn't do. So a certain degree of like being informed about the way of using kind of platforms and social media well. Um, but to an extent also, what, one of the things I've discovered is that there's a kind of randomness to it. So like, I guess being in lockdown over the last year, I have put more stuff out online just because that's one of the primary platforms where we can do stuff, you know, without having many physical meetings. And so I've kind of written a few things, put out some videos and, you know, you put out some of them and I think, oh, this is great. This is great. This is going to be really helpful. I get really excited about it. And then like you, you share it and basically like my mum likes it. And and like that's about it. And then there, and then and then there was like another situation where I, I wrote something kind of about half ten at night. It was just kind of like it was playing on my mind. And like within two days, like it had been shared like six hundred times and watched like like you know. For, and for me, that was pretty huge. Wow. Like nothing kind of before or since had. But but it wasn't. I, you know, I had no idea what was going to take off and what didn't. But in a sense, that's okay. Like you know, I just put stuff out there and like you know and leave it in the sense of leaving leave it with god um so so yeah so those are some of the thoughts i guess behind it but i don't know i mean andy has a much bigger social media platform than i do so i'll hand to the experts and of course andy was watching your he was he was one of the ones who shared that one of the 600 who shared your post that night yeah, and that's 599 times i shared that that post and, um, <laughs> an exhausting evening i did insomnia i just kept clicking the button and, uh, <laughs> And kind of thing but um but yeah it's um it's an interesting one isn't it i mean i confess mm. i can remember the first time i heard the word platform when somebody sort of said oh you know and you need a platform which is someone who's like five foot eight and some change i took to be a comment about that they couldn't see me from the back of the room but apparently that wasn't that that kind of wasn't it and um and yeah but it is as michael said a weird thing i mean you know risk of a cheap platform building plug i just got a book out so that my two muslims and christians worship the same god uh, book comes out nine ninety nine from all good booksellers, um, but it's slightly weird. It, it's, it's both exciting. It is very exciting. I mean, then Michael was written as well, and, and Aaron. I know you're, you've done academic stuff and are working in popular stuff. You know that moment when the box of books arrives for your author copies, and you open it, and you first see this thing you've been working on, and you're so excited. You think it's a message for the world that you want to encourage and equip people, and as Michael said, point people to Christ, and and like everything in you wants to get it out there but then also you're also you, you also end up feeling slightly dirty after 48 hours now of you know yeah. memes and graphics and publishers saying oh can you share this and you know the social media person at work going, right i've created three like instagram posts for you can you post them at these times and stuff and it all feels a bit like me 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 yeah. um so it's a weird line to walk i mean that i think the things you can do as a christian who, who who feels you know because of your job and many of us do it work in jobs where you have to if you're an author or a writer you know, there's also something about honouring the publisher. The publisher's invested money in you. It's your job as a as an author to help them, you know, at least see that re- returned. And just to jump in on that one, Andy, just quickly, the, yes, uh, I didn't realise this when I, you know, it, though I've only had academic books published thus far, 
um, it's amazing how much you don't know if you don't have anything published or how much that when people are self-promoting, they're not actually doing it entirely just because they want to get lots of likes for the sake of it. They're being told they have to do it as part of the, sometimes it's contractual. Sometimes it's actually yeah. a key thing and you want to help the publisher. And so you see, I've seen other people on Facebook and thought before I knew this, I would have thought, Oh, who do they think they are? You know, promoting their, you know, hawking their wares. But now I kind of see people who have got books out and I know they sort of have to do that because it's a key part of a marketing strategy. Yeah, it's just like, that. So there's that piece too. You're right. So, but then, yeah, then in terms of how you walk the line, I guess Michael's talked about keeping it Jesus centered. I think that's that's that that's at least a good filter to put things through. And then the other part, the other one I, I come back to is C.S. Lewis um, wanted something um, something interesting, and it's interesting, right? There's there's a man who ended up with a huge platform without really trying very hard, which is interesting. But but Lewis talked about famously about humility, and he said people have got the wrong idea about humility. People often think humility is is doing a, a, a great piece of work and then going, oh, it's not, it's not really good. It's, it's really quite useless, actually. He said that's not humility. That's just lying. Um, humility, he said, it would be like this. It would be like a person, like an architect, who's designed the the, the most beautiful, you know, building, most beautiful cathedral that's ever been designed, and uh, they know it's the best and they celebrate that fact, but they are no more excited about it than if someone else had designed it. And mm-hmm. so you take a, a, a joy in the thing in itself. And a question mm-hmm. I sometimes ask myself is like, you know, the book I've just done, if a friend, I've got lots of friends working in this field had written it, like if Michael had written this book and gone, uh, you know, I've just written this book on, on is I'm really excited about it. And I take a look, oh, it's brilliant. Would I talk about it? Would I tweet about it? And the answer mm-hmm. is, I think I would. Um, and if you, hopefully people who follow my social media stuff will see, I'm always banging on about, about books. 99% of the time, there are other books I've read. Like the other week, it was Rod Dreher's uh, book, Live Not By Lies, that we'll talk about at a later show. But right now, it happens to be my own. And that and that can be helpful, mm-hmm. Grid, to put it through. The only thing I would say um, is that those are two great filters, but then human beings, boy, are we very good at self-deceit. It's yeah. very easy to go, oh, yeah, yeah, I, this is Jesus focused and yeah 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 I, I would do the same with somebody else but boy you know the heart is deceitful above all things and and of course we live in a culture which one of my canadian friends likes to characterize with the letters pba performance-based acceptance we live in this culture that tells us actually you're not worth something unless you've got enough facebook likes you're not yeah. worth something unless people are reading your stuff and talking about your stuff uh, mm-hmm. and that works in other ways but but, but that, that whole performance-based acceptance thing that underpins social media and there's something i think very toxic at the heart of celebrity culture and social media in the way it encourages us to find our identity in how people engage with our stuff rather than in other places and i think on that i think in terms of all our conversations about christian celebrity you know celebrity in the in the secular world as well like it's asking what is what is it the heart like what is the what is that toxic thing at the heart um and I remember years ago listening to a, a sermon by um, Tim Keller on on Esther, which has always struck with me because he was basically talking about Haman, you know, the kind of baddie in the story of Esther. Yeah. Um, and here's this guy who who wants everyone to like him. He wants everyone to go around saying, you know, this is the man the king honours. And, you know, and it's not enough that everyone does that. He needs the king to do that because he needs to be thought well of, not just by as many people as possible, but by as many important people as possible. You know, so... Um, oh. It doesn't matter if some, you know, homeless man says, "Michael, I think you're great." You know, if someone of importance thinks I'm great, that gives me, you know, a greater sense of kind of acceptance and notice and so on. And so that, and that kind of, but the trouble is, that's never enough. You know, we want to get more and more and more. Um, and you can see that in him in this kind of self-destructive desire for 
for celebrity. Um, but then Keller had a brilliant line at the mm. end. It really struck me. He said, um, Heyman's problem was not that he wanted the wrong thing, but he wanted it from the wrong king. In other words, we all want to be noticed. We all want approval from people whose approval matters. Um, but ultimately, that's because we yeah. need approval from the one whose approval really does matter, which is God himself. And if we don't have that, no amount of approval, no amount of celebrity will ever actually satisfy us, um, whether we're Christian or not. We'll be we'll be searching and searching and it will satisfy us for a few minutes, but then we'll need more. We'll need you know, more likes mm-hmm. next time. We'll need someone even more important than Andy Bannister to retweet it or whatever. And and actually, you know, the gospel says, actually, that desire is is there. And it's right, but you're needing to channel it back to the God who put it there in the first place. And of course, wonderfully in the gospel, we have this offer that we can have the approval, the pleasure and the, the smile of God upon our lives. And I think for me, that that kind of helps at the end of the day, you know, when we've done stuff, just to say, actually, what is my, my desire been today? Has it been to be noticed by others or has it been to be noticed by God? You know, is it his pleasure and smile, which then frees us, doesn't it? Because I'm not then thinking, you know, is this going to be popular or not? Ultimately, my kind of baseline is, is this going to please God or not? Um, and then just one other thing that I found really helpful on that, but um, years ago, listening to a talk by um, Jack Miller, who was um, actually, I think, kind of the mentor of Tim Keller um, years before, but far lesser known. And he just said something very helpful to people in Christian ministry. He said, um, do something every day um, only bec- that no one else will know about just because you love God. In other words, make it a kind of mm. principle to do something to so an active love for God that will be unnoticed and will not get any other attention other than from the Lord as a way of just kind of refocusing your heart and making sure that you're not doing this for the attention of others. Um, but for him, and I thought that's a very helpful kind of challenge really um, in this kind of culture um, to kind of think about. So yeah, I found that helpful. That's really good. Yeah. That, that, I think that, did he write the book of the servant hearted leader? I think about it. As you were saying, you know, the coming to the end of the day of, you know, reflecting on your day in that way. I really like that. That's kind of nice. It made me think of the, uh, I've got this little book that I occasionally dip into in that regard uh, called A Puritan Golden Treasury, one of these old Banner of Truth books. It's kind of falling apart at the seams, not because I've read it that much, but uh, I think it's an old book. <laughs> um, and it has just quotations from Puritans and Puritans, boy, do they know how to like take you down 10 pegs. And, and refocus your heart, and then I just find it really helpful just to kind of immerse yourself in, in the in the kind of perspective, as you're saying, where you're just not focused on the attention and limelight or whatever good you think you can be doing in other people's eyes, but focusing back on our true source of um, of attention, which should be God entirely. So worship as our our kind of metric for that is a wonderful way of, of thinking about that. Um, I guess we ought to close up shop there for another day, right? Um, so, um, you know, now we've talked about all of our, um, our <laughs> the tensions with uh, celebrities and things. We, we do want you to like and subscribe to the podcast and share it with others. Are we doing everything? I guess we are, but, you know, we still want you to do that. And we hopefully we've been able to get into it in a way that, that shows that being aware of the tension doesn't mean you don't therefore try to um, still live in this world and try to, and get the message out there in whatever ways that is required and, and you keep yourself accountable and keep your focus worshipfully as Michael so helpfully just reminded us there. So until next time, we'll, well, we won't see you. You won't see us, but you can hear us at some other point in the future. Farewell. Bye for now. Bye. Bye. Bye.